This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. We're still in a society where society wants you to think you need to be chosen when the reality is you could choose yourself. Now, on the quote you read, that is sort of the crux of the book, which is not, oh, you could start your own business or you could self-publish or you could just put your TV show on YouTube. The real crux of it is, is you have to have inside of you the ability to, to, to realize that choosing yourself is possible because you're at bottom. So you can't, and you're feeling horrible. So you can't just say, well, I'm going to put my TV show on YouTube because you're feeling so horrible about yourself. You can't do that. So I write in one of the first chapters about something I call the daily practice, which is really you have to go inside. And, and I think this is why people categorized it as, as self-help, even though I don't consider it that way. You have to go inside. You have to be physically healthy. And I write about that. You know, I basically write eat, move, sleep better and you know, improve on that 1% a day. You have to be emotionally healthy. And in the quote yeah. you read, you have to be around people who help you and people who you help and you, you build your team and your, 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 your scene. And I, and you know, and there's historical cases, like, you know, you look at like the writers of the fifties, that the beat movement, it's not like Jack Kerouac, William S. Burroughs, Allen Ginsberg, uh, were all separately successful. They actually were in a creative writing class together. Alan, you know, at one point. Wow. And then years later, 10 years later, Allen Ginsberg flew to Morocco when his good buddy William S. Burroughs was totally strung out on heroin. And he edited all these random pieces of paper on the floor, put it together, and that became the best-selling Naked Lunch. And, you know, all these guys, like, worked together. They built their scene. If you look at the artists of the 50s, like Jasper Johns, Jackson Pollock, all these guys, they practically lived together. They found their scene. They grew up with them. If you look at Silicon Valley, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, all these guys who were the first wave of Silicon Paul Valley, Allen, and then all these guys were the first wave yeah. of the internet, like Peter Thiel, uh, Elon Musk, they all literally grew up together in the industry. They found their scene that they could grow up Spielberg, with. Spielberg, George Lucas, yeah. Yeah, Spielberg, George Lucas. They, Brian De Palma, Scorsese. Yeah, they, yeah. they were kind of like hanging out, you know, practically like indie film students hanging out at the local cafe, you know, brainstorming on, you know, how to make The Godfather and American Graffiti and, you know, all of those first wave of brilliant 70s movies, maybe the best movies ever made. And um, you were talking about something earlier, a scene, well, certainly in comedy, you know, yeah. all these comedians sort of grew up together. Like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David were hanging out together when they can't come up with the idea of, Seinfeld, or uh, uh, you know, so many examples from from history of people who, you know, they were physically healthy. Because and my my quote in the book too is, if you're sick in bed, you can't come up with new ideas. So you have to be healthy. Then you have to ha be emotionally healthy. Like it's like you don't waste time. I didn't want to waste any more time convincing my agent to like me if he wasn't if he was going to be so angry at me. So I just never spoke to him again. I actually ran into him in a bookstore once. And he yelled at me again for what oh, wow. I did for dropping him. But I just said, well, you know, good luck. But uh, you can't waste time on toxic people. If you're in a, you can't waste time on toxic relationships. You, I never, too, maybe too much so, if someone is even mildly toxic, I like drop them instantly, which has also caused some problems for me because I don't, 
It's not like a three strikes and you're out. It's like a one strike and you're out in most cases. What are some examples of toxic people? Uh, well, certainly many relationships, you know, um, I mean, Chris Rock even talks about this in his n recent Netflix special, Tambourine. And by the way, that's a great example of a scene. You know, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., they all kind of grew up in comedy yeah. at the same time and became huge. But Chris Rock talks about in romantic relationships, don't try to compete with your significant other. Like, support each other. And there's a lot of evidence. You know, one, one scientist studied like 2,000 couples. I forget the exact study. But what types of couples stick together for more than 30 years? It's not the people who stuck together in hard times. It's the people who stuck together when times were good. Oh, interesting. Because, like, let's say you're married. Yeah. And you're living in New York City and your wife gets a movie role and has to move to L.A. for six months. You have to be supportive. And, and so she could focus on that and then come back to you. And then you stick together. If you're competing, like, well, you're not going, right? Well, because I live in New York and I have a job. Then that's bad for the relationship. And so, and that's toxic. So, or, or a boss, you know, many bosses are toxic if they don't, if, if they're not focused on how to motivate an employee other than just money, then that's toxic. Uh, uh, you know, many friendships are toxic. I've had strong family relationships where as my writing started to get many more readers. And by the way, when I stopped writing about finance and started writing these stories relating to choosing yourself, like all these insane stories I was writing, my audience multiplied by 10. I had good family relationships with people who were who were also writers and they just simply stopped talking to me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the type of people and you know, we're we talk about the you're the average of the people you spend the time with and I think I always want to be around people who want the same bright future for me than they want for themselves. Not you know, to people who relegate you to something and you know, there's something Jen Shinshiro talked to us about like where when she was successful, it killed her pal. People like to see you as the sidekick or the kind of person who might be inept at certain things. They don't want to see you. Yeah, like when I sold my first company, zero of the friends I had then are still wow. my friends now. Wow. Because then I went down and out. For first I was successful, so that lost a bunch of yeah. people. Then I went down and out, so that lost a bunch of people. And you know, by the end of that, between family members and friends, I lost almost everybody. Yeah. And you have to always, and you can't hold on to the past. Like you have to be able to move forward and say, look, I need to be around people who are good for me and who I could be good for. This is why, um, look, you know, I had met you already yeah. once. You had me on Good Day New yeah. York uh, after the minimalism article about me came out in the New York Times. And um, you did me a favor you put me on the same day as Lori Hernandez, the, the who won the silver medal in or the gold, one of the medals in gymnastics. I didn't know really who she was, but my sister, my my daughter, Molly, was a huge fan of hers and came with me and met her and we took a photo. I still have the photo on my Instagram. Then the second time I met you, there's an interesting coincidence. Um, I had I had just had breakfast with Ryan Holiday, and who was only in town for like the day, and he told me he was going over to Good Day New York. Uh, and I'm like, oh, I'll just keep you company because you're about to go on TV. Everybody's a little nervous when they're going on TV. So I go there and we're in the green room and, uh, he, you know, he was introducing himself to people. I was just kind of laying low or, or I was saying to people like Brad Thor, like, yeah, Ryan wrote this, this, and this. Like I was almost like Ryan's 
publicist. Yeah. Then Ryan was even trying to get me to push yeah. myself a little more. I was doing having none of that. And you know, because because Ryan Holiday is like has been part of my scene yeah. for years at that point. And you noticed that, you know, and I like that. I liked how you were very like because I think um I was like, this is the most accomplished guy here. And Ryan's a brilliant guy. I love his stuff, but and I just liked the way you kind of conducted yourself where you were just happy to kind of go along with him. And that showed me a lot. And I thought that was pretty amazing. And I remember I had all those interns around me and we were just talking about a lot of different stuff. I remember talking about marketing with Ryan and LeVar Ball. You knew very little about sports. Uh, yeah. So you didn't, but like, and I was telling, you know, the interns and people around, I was like, guys, this guy's a brilliant guy. Like James, like, you know, you should open your eyes to say like, you know, it's not just the people who have the shiniest, brightest people. There's a lot of value there. And you but should- But you know, always, Ryan had just had one of his books just came Perennial out. Seller Perennial Seller, which was a great, was a book. great book. And Terrific I wanted him to, to push yes. it. I wanted yeah, to help him. Great. He that's came on great. my podcast for, for that book. And, but the, the reason I say there was a coincidence there is that I wrote an article once, which I don't think it's in Choose Yourself. It might be in Reinvent Yourself. Um, let me just see if it's in Choose Yourself. But the article was called, oh no, it definitely wasn't in here. Um, uh, but the article was called, Who Is In Your Scene? And it was about this topic. Yeah. And within seconds of hitting publish on that article, Ryan Holiday had wrote me and said, I feel like we're building our scene. Oh, Cause, wow. Because Ryan and I, like, yeah. knew Tucker Max, Tim Ferriss, like, we were yeah. all kind of doing the same, or sim not the same, but similar types of things, Lewis Howes, AJ Jacobs. Like, we were all kind of helping yeah, each other amazing. do things. It's amazing. And, but anyway, so I this daily practice, I'll just quicken it up, is uh, physical health, emotional health, which is, you know, being around good people, not being around toxic people, creative health, which is, I describe it as just, and this was a real thing that happened to me is um, I didn't start bouncing back until I started, I bought a hundred waiters pads and I started writing down 10 ideas a day. Why a waiters pad? Because you could only fit, you know, you can't write a whole novel. You could only write like one small idea. It's, it has to be really concise bullet points. So I, I practiced exercising my idea muscle and I'd write 10 ideas a day. And then I started writing 10 ideas a day for other people and I would send it to them. So I would send to Amazon, here's 10 ideas for your self-publishing group. And they and sometimes amazing things would happen. Amazon invited me to come out to Seattle and they showed me every, introduced me to everybody in their self-publishing group and asked my opinion about all their different new products and so on. I've flown out to Amazon, LinkedIn, Google. Uh, I've met the Quora people. So many companies, the 10 ideas a day, when I send to them, have, I, I've gotten but benefit why, from that. But why do you think a lot of people don't want to send ideas like that? They, they hold on to it too much. Uh, I think people have a scarcity complex. They feel like they're not good enough so that if they have this idea, maybe someone else will implement it or take credit for it. They're afraid that they won't be given credit you know, the way I wrote a book called The Rich Employee at one point after Choose Yourself, which is if you want to succeed at a job, make sure your boss gets all the credit for everything you do. Sure. And that's what I did at HBO is my, my boss kept getting promotion after promotion once I started because I would give him credit for HBO.com, he did it. And I would just give, like when we right. were running to the CEO, this is the guy who did HBO.com, not me. And uh, I would just give credit after credit to my bosses when, wherever I worked. And so, so I think people feel the, the average person, not the average person, but a lot of people feel, oh, if I don't stand up for myself and take 
credit for what I did or hold on to my ideas, then someone's going to screw me. And yeah. you see this a lot in the investing world. Like I used to be a venture capitalist where I didn't, people would pitch me ideas. Companies would come in and say, oh, we need you to sign a non-disclosure agreement so you can't, this agreement makes sure you can't steal our idea. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what you're, like, why would I take your idea? A, I get pitched ideas all day long. Why would, why would I suddenly take this one idea and you who have been building it for years maybe, why would I think I could do it better than you? And I would hope that you're passionate enough about your idea that you would think to yourself, oh, anyone who competes with me is going to be crushed because no one's going to know more than me. When I did stockpicker.com, I realized too late there were five other players in that particular space. Like it was like a social media site for investing. Yeah. And I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, I already spent the money and I'm almost done with this. There's five other competitors. I didn't even do any competitive research. But then I thought to myself, who is going to know more about in investing, investing strategies, website development, you know, all the top investors than than me. No, and no one was able to compete. We were by far and it's, the best. It's kind of like choosing faith over fear, like choosing your faith and your ability. Could you explain what Stock Picker was? Uh, yeah, it was just a way to enter in your portfolio of stocks or portfolio of stocks you were interested in. And then we, I wrote algorithms to match people. It's almost like a dating thing, like match people with portfolios similar. So you would then start to follow other investors similar to you. But I also put all the portfolios of the best investors in the world because those are, they have to disclose them. Um, so Warren Buffett, Carl Icahn, George Soros, I put the, all their portfolios on stock picker as wow. well. So then you could see, you, it could be an educational thing. You could do, um, you could see war, what stocks are was Warren Buffett in or what stocks is George Soros in. So the, and then I made a message boards and then I also made a Q&A so anybody could ask any question and anyone could answer. So I made that feature and Jim Cramer started answering all the questions. Like like literally in between commercials on his wow. show, I could see him um, answering questions wow. on StockPicker. So we had millions of users and and Jim actually was, Jim Cramer was the most popular user and I was the second most popular user. Wow. And so eventually the street.com bought uh, the That's site. That's perfect, yeah. So you chose yourself with that company and it was like the old, the old uh, football coach and owner Al Davis used to say like we don't take what the defense gives us we take what we want right and I'll tell you yeah. I had create I had started nine around that time two things happened one is I was running a pretty for me a pretty big hedge fund and a bank wanted to buy it uh but they wanted to uh, a major bank but they wanted me to sign a six-year employment agreement and wow. if they fired me at any point uh, like at their own whim they could just get all the money back. And, and I wasn't allowed to write. And so, um, and so I, I turned that deal down. I realized, you know what? I didn't, I built this business that was paying the bills and doing well, this hedge fund business, but I didn't create any value because it was the only thing they were valuing was me, not the business. And so I said, I've got to shut this business down which I did instantly. Like you got to take, if you realize something like that, you got to take action. So I, the very next day I sent emails to all the investors and I said, we're shutting it down. And fortunately we did that. It was like a year before the financial crisis. Um, and then I started coming up with ideas. I did my 10 ideas a day. I started coming up with ideas for websites. So I built like a dating website. I built like a testing education website. I built 
all these websites, the only thing that got traction, and my business partner said, you know what? We just had nine failures in a row. All of them were horrible. We would get no traffic. We just did nine failures in a row. Let's just give up on this and get back to the hedge fund game. We'll build a new hedge fund. And I'm like, no, no, let's just try this one other thing because it's related to investing. We built that and it just got huge almost instantly. But it goes to show you, A, having lots of ideas doesn't mean, you know, people say ideas are a dime a dozen. It's actually really hard to come up with a good idea. And then also it's really hard to, you know, people say execution is everything. It's hard to execute and execution. You know, once I had a good idea, I'd have to, the next day I would come up with what I call execution ideas. So what's, you know, how am I going to make this website? Well, I had to spec out what each page looked like. That's 10 ideas per page. And so ultimately by the time this website was done, there were like hundreds of ideas built into this site. Sure. So that's why none of the competition could even come close to me. Um, I mean, I had every investment strategy I'd ever looked at for, for the prior eight years baked into this website. And we had software running behind the scenes, generating signals for investment and trades. Anyway. It kind of speaks to your skill stack too, like what we always talk about with... Yeah, like Scott Adams says, I'm not the best at drawing, but I'm pretty good. I'm not the best at business, but I'm pretty good. I'm not the funniest guy, but I'm pretty good. Combine that, what he calls his talent stack and what I call idea sex in this book, Choose Yourself, um, and you become the best at that intersection. And so I always kind of try to, I say, okay, I'm good at investing and I'm good at all these strategies and I'm good at software. And I've also been a website designer. So I'm good at design, you know, figuring out how people use websites. I had a web design company and I have a lot of relationships in the investment space. So I combined all of that and created a, an enormous website. Could you tell me about some of the people who... Which read... by then I lost all my money after that. <laughs> I sold that site, made millions, and I burned through all of that. So I hadn't yet internally chosen myself. But could you tell me about like some of the people who've really been touched by Choose Yourself and how does that make you feel when they've come to you and said, hey, I read your book, I quit my job. Right, so, and, yeah. so, 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 so I write in the very beginning about this daily practice, which is physical health, emotional health, creative health, and then the final thing is spiritual health, which sounds new agey or gooey, but it really just means surrender control over kind of like the AA thing almost, like surrender control over the things you can't control. Like I couldn't convince my agent years earlier to to publish a book idea I had. So I, I got rid of him and without even thinking about it, no resentment, no bad feelings. I just, I surrendered control over that process and found, and used my, using my 10 ideas a day, figured out a different process. Um, because my idea muscle had had built up by then doing the 10 ideas a day. And I was surrounding myself. I would always eliminate toxic people and surround myself with good people. So got rid of the agent and started building more relationships in the publishing world on my own. So that that's how you, every day you could switch the toxic people to the good people. So, and I was exercising every day and I was trying to eat well. And, uh, you know, and I was, you know, not necessarily, uh, you know, I was doing whatever you would consider spiritual stuff. I was trying to do that every day. And, and then I just wrote a lot of other stories around those ideas. Like how do you execute things? And I would tell stories or, or how do you, uh, get, go from being stuck to unstuck or how do you find your purpose in life? I'm reading just chapters in this book. But I, I feel like it's like when we spoke to Richard Branson, you said, well, what if you're not a billionaire, you know, what if you're not handsome? What if you're not extroverted? How do you do this? And I think like people 
who want to self-reject or a little afraid or having an experience will say, well, James, you're a master in chess. Like you're a computer programmer. You went to an Ivy League college. You came from a middle-class background. What, what, you know, I can't do it. Okay, well, at that time uh, when I wrote Choose Yourself, in the period that Choose Yourself was kind of roughly based on, there's a couple different periods, but let's say aggregating them together, I had no money, so all my degrees and my background were wasted. I had no parents at that point um, and no, no family. Um, I wasn't living in a, I wasn't living in New York City, which is where so many, I was living in a place where there was no opportunity. Um, what were some of the, I, I certainly wasn't handsome enough to get any, you know, special jobs or treatment because of that. Uh, nobody was giving me anything because I was a chess master or because I went to college. Like nobody was even returning my calls. So uh, I had to really. So live, it's like if you could do it, maybe right. other people can. Right. So I was, again, suicidal at different points. And, you know, and then you could see it in some of the titles, like there's one title, one chapter titled Choose Yourself to Live. Another title is uh, What If I'm in a Crisis? Another chapter, which become, became one of the more popular ones, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Mediocre People. Because <laughs> everyone, most people are just, and I include myself, most people are just mediocre. We're not, you know, Richard Branson, who's very, I consider very special, or we're not, we don't have the physical prowess of like, let's say a Tony Hawk in skateboarding, or we don't have, uh, I don't know, the the who are some of the many other people on the podcast. Yeah. We don't have the chess playing ability of Gary Kasparov. We don't have the business ability of, of you know, the 15 billionaires that I've had on this yeah. podcast or, or like like Sarah Blakely, Richard Branson, um, Mark Cuban, and, and, and so on. I considered myself very mediocre and I had to, to you know, some of these habits is what do you do if you procrastinate a lot? What if you do? I'll tell you tomorrow. <laughs> that was that was too that easy. Was, that yeah. was a good joke. I, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what if you do if your ideas are not original? What if you do if you're not good at multitasking, or if you keep failing, or or if you're desperate for a yes, or if you're a poor judge of people? Like I've always been a poor judge of people. So how can I work around that? And so I wrote a whole chapter on this that was actually very. Uh, you addressed people's concerns head on is what yeah. you did. Yeah. Like I am a horrible judge of people. Like I either, I make those split second ju judgments like Malcolm Gladwell says in, in the book Blink. I think I even referenced Blink in that chapter. And I'm almost always wrong on my split second judgments. And so, uh, uh, and yet despite that, just by doing those four things, physical health, emotional health, creative health, spiritual health, and getting 1% better at those four things every day, I realized, oh, I'm creating opportunities for myself in many, many areas of life. Like right now, I mean, I have so many different things I'm involved in because these, this aspect of internally choosing yourself compounds. And you, and you, and you still do it. Yeah, every day. When I don't do it every day, I can feel it all slipping. All the opportunities start to go away. And, you know, I have opportunities... With the, we do this podcast, I have opportunities in writing, I have opportunities in business, I have opportunities in investing that, you know, if I write to a company now with my 10 ideas, often they respond because I get the idea, I really sharpen the ideas and figure out who to write to. Um, and then they might give me opportunities like speaking opportunities or consulting opportunities. Uh, and, and I even have a chapter, let's get specific, what should I do? Like this book really uh, fit all of people's 
you know, told my stories and then it gave spe very specific advice. I backed up yeah. by not only my stories, but I would tell stories about, oh, I write about Sarah Blakely in this book. I write about so many interesting people in this book who chose themselves. And what what did you talk about Sarah in the book about? Well, about how she was selling fax machines and she didn't like it. And she didn't have any experience in the fashion business. She didn't have any experience sewing. And yet somehow she made a multi-billion dollar fashion line called Spanx. And I kind of document that story of how she did it and why that's an example of her choosing herself, but how it started. I always looked at for I always look for choose yourself stories where they don't need anyone's permission and they don't need any validation from an external source. Like she doesn't have a PhD in fashion or she didn't work at Chanel or, or a department store or anything like that. She had no experience at all. Um, but she figured it out on her own with the help of others. But she did, you know, nobody's Damn. as Ken Langone, a billionaire, yeah. the founder of Home Depot said in this podcast, nobody is self-made. She figured out with the help of a lot of people. But I always get back to the core, which is how is she physically healthy? How is she emotionally healthy, creatively healthy, spiritually healthy? Because it always boils down to those four things. Nobody can choose themselves without being good at those four things. But then they do these other things, like she gave herself permission. Look, there was one great story with her. She sold, I think it was to Neiman Marcus. She sold like I'm gonna make up a number, but she sold like a hundred thousand items of her main product. She had no idea. She sold it, but then she realized she had no manufacturer. She had no idea how she was gonna make it, and she had a timeline. She had to deliver it like in a matter of weeks. So that's a very choose yourself kind of story. Yeah. I liked where she, I, I remember her saying uh, where, you know, she was careful if she told her friends like, hey, I have this idea called Spanx. And they might have said, well, Sarah, if it's such a great idea, why didn't somebody else come up with it or hey right. isn't it just isn't it right, just so kind of like pantyhose that's cut off you know or and so she didn't allow herself to let other people's she chose herself and she didn't allow other people to creep in their negativity or their limiting beliefs or and for her to adopt them yeah and that's not an example of scarcity that's an example of being emotionally healthy like she didn't want any toxic opinions to you yeah. know people are not it's very hard to give constructive criticism. So even if someone's not toxic to you, their criticism might be toxic because like any skill, criticism is a skill and 99% of people, like in any hard skill, 99% of people are not so good at it. So most criticism is destructive and can throw people off. Sarah Blakely had this internal sense about that. And so uh, she, wouldn't seek out, uh, she wouldn't seek out advice because it would turn out, it wouldn't be constructive usually. And and I think and the other thing about Sarah is, which she said on our podcast actually, she said every week her father would sit everybody down for dinner and say, "What did you fail at this week?" And he wouldn't be happy unless you failed at something and learned from it. So that you know, you learn when choosing yourself. You're gonna get, you know, you're gonna fail a lot more than you're gonna succeed because no one's just giving you the red carpet treatment. You have to, you have to make every stitch of that red carpet and then roll it out for yourself. And that's hard to do. And you're going to fail a lot at doing it. So, so you have to kind of get, you have to be comfortable with sitting with that awful, you don't have to fail to succeed, but you have to get comfortable with sitting with that awful feeling of failure 
because then you know you can bounce back from it. And all these things, I, I, I write about all these choose yourself stories, I give specific advice. So, and then even the publication in this book, I I had publishers who were calling me every day because my writing was getting all over the place. And I, I decided I was gonna self-publish this because that's how you, I was gonna choose myself. I didn't need a publisher to take 85% of my profits and then an agent to take another 20% on top of that. You know, the average writer makes about 12% on the wholesale price of their book. So if a book is in the bookstore for $20, the wholesale price might be $12 or $10. You're only making like a dollar off of every book. You know how many books the average book, you know, this is a very interesting statistic. The average book that wins, that wins the national book award. So, so somebody decides this is the best book written of the past year. Do you know, do you know how many copies on average it has sold at that point that it's selected for the winner? No, I do not. Less than 2,000 copies. That's unbelievable. So even if you write a great book because you're super talented and it's you're validated because someone selected yeah. you, someone published you, put you in bookstores, and you were selected by a committee of great writers that this is the best book of the year, you've still only sold less than 2,000 copies on average. Wow. And so I figured, okay, this is a book that I want people to read. I don't want to just get the validation of, oh, this fancy publisher published me and I got on the New York Times bestseller list. I, I didn't want bragging rights. I wanted people to read it because this I felt this could help people. So the very first page, I even wrote, uh, I wrote, a, before the book starts, I wrote, uh, before the table of contents, I write a, 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 a page called, here's the deal. I said, I don't need to make a dime off this book. Uh, uh, anybody who reads this book and tries these ideas and wants their money back, I will completely refund the money. I gave them like four or five months to 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 do this. And um, some people, some of my friends were worried I was going to go broke because, you know, Amazon keeps their a little bit of a cut when you self-publish, but I was going to pay back the full amount. And only 1% of the people who bought the book in those four months asked me for their money back. And I set up my kids and me. We were like in an assembly line, like writing checks, licking envelopes, licking stamps until my uh, my nine-year-old started crying like she didn't want to do it anymore and I, I finished it off. But because uh, uh, there was, you know, 1% was a big number because I sold a lot of copies. But, uh, you know, I just, I, 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 you write, I, you write, this isn't one of these ineffectual self-help books designed to look good on your shelf. You either read the book and use the, these ideas or you shouldn't bother. You know, yeah. that's why you, that's why you have to front the purchase price. But if you can prove to me that you have actually read the book, I will give you your money back. It's an investment that's all upside on your part. So, and this, this is a testament to uh, those four pillars that I call the daily practice. So, you know who came up actually with that exact line? Um, because I was trying to figure out how to word it. Yeah. So, Tucker Max came up with oh, that wow. exact line because he was... I, I reached out to him. I even visited him in Austin wow. to tell him my idea for Choose Yourself. He said, this is great. I'll help you figure out how to market it. He introduced me to an editor who edited it. Then- What were your alternative titles? Um, oh yeah, so then-, so then Cause he's very sharp, Tucker, about like titling it and yes. the importance of it. So, so, so Tucker, Ryan Holiday- Sure, and, and so I, smart guys. We, we, yeah. we got together and we brainstormed ideas for, uh, uh, the book. And um, I had two choices, uh, Choose Yourself and the Choose Yourself era. 
Like we live in oh, this wow. era uh, where choosing yourself is possible now because of technology. But I kept thinking that wasn't so good because era sounds like error. So it's almost like the choose yourself error. And Tucker said, let's go with pick yourself. Um, and then Ryan had another title, I forget now. But then what I did was, uh, is I made Facebook ads with each title by, you know, pick yourself now, by choose yourself now. And I put the ads on Facebook and I gave them each a budget of about $50. And then whichever ad people clicked the ad clicked to no place, but I could see who clicked on what. Wow. And I think 80% or 70% clicked on the choose yourself ad, maybe like 20% clicked on, uh, uh, pick yourself, uh, maybe like 10% clicked on or 5% clicked on the choose of era. And then, uh, a few percent clicked on Ryan's choice. Uh, and so we went, oh, choose yourself was clearly the winner. So I went with, uh, choose yourself and I hired a designer to design the cover instead of just using a template. And I hired an interior designer to design the interior. Like I really chose myself to make almost like a mini publishing company. I did everything super cheap, but I still hired professionals. Now I'm looking at this cover though, and I don't think it's like world's greatest cover. No, I mean, um, <laughs> the cover is the the same guy who designed, you know, the book City of Thieves. Yeah, by sure. Mark I think yeah. it's the same cover designer. Oh wow! Is that. Wow. No, I because I always wonder what goes into some of these designs, and yeah, no, um, it's I, neat. It looks kind of cool. Yeah, for like those a, of you like that are, was it. It just looked professional. It didn't look. Yeah, I like, like it. It didn't no, look self-published. It looked like professionally published. Sure. And I used the name of Tucker's company, Lioncrest Publishing. Um, as the publisher, so people wouldn't necessarily automatically assume it was self-published. Uh, not that I was misleading. Lioncrest Publishing did help me publish this. You know, I, I hired someone working for Tucker to upload it to Amazon and convert it to so it could be for print and for um, Kindle. And um, Tucker gave me good advice on how to make the audiobook. So I read this as an audiobook. And actually, I kind of riffed throughout the whole audiobook, so it's almost like a separate product. Uh, because I, I didn't like reading straight off the page. Uh, and so this was really, even though, you know, I I wrote it, it was really, a, oh, and then uh, um, Tucker's kind of editor throughout the years, this guy, Niels Parker, uh, he was the editor of the book. Uh, so he was a great editor. He's like, why don't you move this chapter here, this chapter there? He, he asked me a thousand questions about different lines. So I really, it really was like a professionally done process. Ryan and I would brainstorm six months in advance. Ryan Holiday and I brainstorm ideas for marketing. Like I set up a, this is 2013. I set up a, before I published it on Amazon, I set up my own store, but it would only accepted Bitcoins to publish this book. So I wrote an article saying, I'm the best selling Bitcoin only <laughs> author ever. CNBC had me on, and Herb Greenberg, a noted skeptic and a good friend, asked me, um, Did you just do that Bitcoin? only thing for for publicity and i said well i'm on national television right now because of it so you tell me so it, it, it worked i i ran for congress wow. uh, and then backed out of it so i had a story in both like a presidential candidate actually wanted to endorse me and there was a whole story behind that so i had a story to help the marketing there i had the whole giveaway thing kevin kelly had suggested the idea of giving away a book, give, giving the money back if they buy it because they value it if they wow. buy it. So even though, like I said, Tucker and I worked out that line, it was Kevin Kelly's who's been on the podcast a couple sure. of times and he's famous for the article 1000 True Fans. Kevin Kelly uh, came up with the initial idea of um, have them pay for it so you know they value it and they'll read it, but then you'll be willing to give the money back. So 
and he right. wanted to figure they out a way. They have to have some skin in the game, essentially. He wanted to figure out a complicated way, technically, to do it. Yeah. With Amazon, and I now have almost two thousand reviews on this book. Sure. I remember one publisher told me if you get thirteen hundred reviews in his experience, uh, your book's going to probably last forever. So now I've got nineteen hundred reviews. Wow. Most of them five star reviews, and uh, and the book keeps selling. And then after, like right after the book came out, I started getting all these calls and opportunities. I wrote, I, I expanded off on the ideas. I wrote the Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. I wrote a, a book that wasn't self-help at all, but just kind of like stories called the Choose Yourself Stories, which in retrospect was a bad title because it was more of a literary story mm -hmm. book. I should have. But so like you're careful to say like, hey, I didn't want this to be the self-help book. And what's that distinction? Well, I think, I think nobody knows how to help other people. Like it's, I sort of feel like there's a little bit of ego saying, oh, read my book and you'll be better. Um, I think the only thing you can do is say, this is what happened to me. This is a story about what happened to me and how I got out of this bad situation. You can either follow this advice or not. This is just my story. And then people could decide on their own. And then you have to write it well enough they'll want to keep reading your stories. Yeah. So so by me not calling myself self-help, I'm not leaning on that genre to sell copies. I'm, I'm, people will only read it if they like the writing and are getting actual benefit out of it uh, instead of, well, we're going to keep reading it like, well, when am I going to get to, you know, learn how to be more powerful or whatever? Uh, uh, you know, and the writing's all bad. On most most books in any yeah. genre, writing's really bad. So I didn't want to be uh, just that. Now maybe that hurt me a little bit by not claiming to be self help. But I did actually the one book I traditionally published, the only book I traditionally published after this came out, and I've written seven books since this came out. Uh, there's one book I wrote called The Power of No, which I did through Hay House, who is a known self help publisher, and. They called me up the day Choose Yourself was published or the day after, and they said, we'll do any book you want. Wow. And I and I was just making a joke. I said, let's do The Power of Now, but without the W. <laughs> and they said, done. And how much money do you want? And I picked a kind of a ridiculous number, and they said, done. And so I wrote The Power of Now. Uh, and that became a, a Wall Street Journal bestseller and a USA Today bestseller. But, uh, and then who else called me? Um, I mean, I was on a ton of podcasts. I was on all, all the TV networks suddenly opened up. Every single publisher in the world called me. Every literary agent from the top on down called me. Um, and why, why do you think, in retrospect, it resonated with all those places? Well, it resonated with them because they, sold, they saw copies being sold. Like I was consistently number one in the entire Amazon store, not just with this book, but with- And not just with Bitcoin. <laughs> And well, with the, yeah, not just on Bitcoin, but the Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth hit number one. People always say, oh, an Amazon bestseller means they were number one in their category, but there's 6,000 categories in Amazon, so you just yeah. pick the category so it's easy. But Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth was number one in the entire Amazon store. I mean, right after it was like a Harry Potter book and Fifty Shades of Grey, Reinvent Yourself was number one in the entire Amazon store, beating out all the novels, all the nonfiction, everything. Wow. So agents saw this and other publishers saw this, so this is why this is why I'm calling BS a little on the industry. Oh, they didn't they didn't like you until they liked you. Right. <laughs> you right, know, right. They, why didn't you call me in nineteen ninety one and nurture my career when right. you thought I had a little bit of talent? Or why didn't you why did you 
dumped me in 2009 when in the middle most, of a financial most crisis. Most people are more reactive than proactive. Right. Yeah. And so, so in general, I'm, I'm a huge fan of self-publishing and I've, we've had, well, A, we do a self-publishing course now in Choose Yourself Media and B, I've done so many podcasts with self-published writers like Hugh Howie, Andy Weir. Most people don't know that The Martian was originally self-published. Uh, most people don't know Fifty Shades of Grey was originally self-published. Um, uh, Steve Scott's self-published like 60 books. Uh, Hal Elrod with The Miracle Morning, which has 3,000 reviews on it. Uh, he's he's self-publishes an entire series of Miracle Morning books. Uh, so you can you can basically get do very well self being self-published. And then that led to me wanting to create choose yourself kind of opportunities for people, which ultimately led to me starting a business, choose yourself media. And again, I had a platform, but it was much bigger this time because it wasn't just, Hey, what stocks to invest in? But it was like how you can really develop yourself and invest in yourself. And when I, you really, when you, when you really feel full of doubt, you're at your worst moment, you're full of doubt, you're, you're sick, you're feeling depressed. You you have no opportunities in front of you. You have no creativity left. Maybe you, you, maybe everyone around you is an awful person. Maybe you have, you know, you you think all hope is lost. I think that's, I think that was my audience. Yeah, and um, I think it's also um, I think it's also instructive that you did that. Like when Ariana Huffington or other people talk about their different metrics to success, you know, and even in the the subtitle where you say be happy, make millions, live the dream. And that should be, like we all should define success for us in what it means. And it's not just external. Yeah, uh, and actually in, in retrospect know, now, I, I wouldn't use this subtitle because I think- Making millions, you think? Yeah, yeah, making millions is not necessarily important for lots of reasons and not in the cliche reason that money's not everything. Money is certainly better than having zero, um, but you know, everyone has a different number. Uh, and happy, there's nuances there in uh, well-being and contentment are kind of more important concepts than happy. And I write about that in the Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. Or, or fulfillment yourself. even is a good word. Yeah. You know, yeah. And living the dream, that one maybe I'd keep. That's almost like a, a joke. Like I remember one time I was on CNBC and we were all getting ready to go live in like 30 seconds. And one of the anchors um, said to the other anchor, hey, how you doing? And the guy said in his deep, anchorish voice, you know, <laughs> living the dream, living the dream. So I just thought it was like a funny yeah, phrase. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, uh, but why not live the dream? And uh, I don't know, so many opportunities came from this book and so many people read it and it's, and like you say, Steve, we're walking around, people yeah. people either, uh, more. it's funny now, more people now stop me because of the podcast, but for a long time, for many years, people stopped me because of this book. So, and people still stop me because of this book, but I would say, people more stop me for the, the podcast at this point. Cause, cause the podcast is not only my stories and techniques, but the hundreds of billionaires, athletes, actors, writers, inventors, creatives who have succeeded in all their methods for success. So I think the podcast became a huge benefit, you know, it's which, which again, I based, I base a lot of reinvent yourself. And then my next book, think like a billionaire on things that happened in this podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be a part of it. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, well, Steve Cohen, you've been you, it. You, our podcast together have been so great because you you've taught me how to get like all the amazing guests that you've got. Like, you, 
I, I chose Steve Cohen yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> to, to get all, no, I'm very grateful. all these great podcasts. It's definitely guests. changed my life. And I do think that I'm able to evangelize for what you've been doing, you know, just unabashedly because I see it. You know, I see it on a daily basis. I see how you treat people. I see how you've been successful. And I would say that I always liked, you know, and Dan Coyle wrote the talent code and he wrote the culture code. But in the talent code, one of the things he talks about was how in Korea, these golfers, this golfer became number one and it was kind of an ignition for everybody else. Like when you see somebody do it. So I feel like obviously seeing is believing. Yeah, and I think that I could watch people like you who are like, okay, well, maybe if he can do it, I can do it. You know, I'm not, I don't have that same talent stack, but you know, why not? And No, everybody so does. That's why yeah. I, you know, first off, I have a whole chapter on how to deal with your, your most common excuses. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, uh, most of the book really is answering the objections because uh, we all kind of start, you know, humans are all basically similar more or less. And then it's just what you do with this basic yeah. material that separates you. And that's about doing this daily practice and improving and then the rest of the book is just my kind of insane stories of either doing it or not doing it and and failing or you know and then dealing with all my excuses that I've always had and dealing telling the stories of other people I have a story here I didn't even remember this title Gandhi chose himself to free an entire country so I talk about Gandhi's how he chose himself uh you know, and uh, oh, our our podcast about the Beatles. That's yeah, a chapter in. Yeah, choose yourself. Sure. Um, and then I have a chapter: what to do when you're rejected, because because I've been rejected so many times in so many different situations. And I always used to think to myself, "Gosh, if that person had just, if Sheila Nevins had just accepted my TV show, I would have been a happy person now." But I'm so glad she rejected it because yeah, amazing things happened. And it's learning how to roll with all these things and sitting with it. Well, it's like Shell Richardson says, rejection's God's protection, you know? So maybe you went a different route. And yeah, and I'm thrilled that, you know, hopefully we engender that community that we've talked about, like like where we have a lot of great people around us. And, you know, those of you out there, welcome to join us. Well, uh, and by the way, you just mentioned Shell Richardson, who's a great self-help writer, actually. Yes. And um, she's been on the podcast. Yeah. Do you know the very first day I spoke to her was the day this book came out. Oh, that's amazing. She read it and called me to say, she called, she had me on her show wow. on that day and said, "Come, I, I love this book. She called me and said, I love this book. Can you come on my show? She had a radio show, come on my show and talk about it. You know who else I was, show I was on that day was Mary Lou Henner. Wow. And I spoke at a conference by Derek Halpern, who's kind of, um, you know, a, a, a a business self-help kind of guy, um, but he had a really great conference. That that video, I think, has gotten two or three hundred thousand views. Um, so a lot of things started happening on that day that that changed my life, and it brought together all the people in my life. And it, you know, and even still, I have moments or lots of moments of failure, but I just make sure. Did I do a uh, Kamal? I'll call Kamal. Like I can't believe this one thing happened to me. And Kamal's like, "Are you doing your daily practice?" And so Kamal reminds me almost like an accountability partner uh are you know are you sticking to what you say because it's it's people give advice it's hard to follow it so i have to make sure i follow my own advice and stick to it or else i i fail more than usual that's great yeah i'm glad to see you're still living <laughs> choose yourself existence well thanks for so this is the fifth year five years now almost to the day since choose yourself have published next week i know we're having a party 
podcast with Ryan Holiday, yeah. Q&A, comedians. Uh, I chose myself to be uh, a stand-up comic a few years ago, among the many other things I do. And you don't know how many comedians who have been doing it for 20 years have said to me, you cannot do it this way. Like, you have to be doing it for 20 years. You have to build up with the open mics first, and then this, and then this, and then this. And I just skipped right to the front of the line and said, well, who's... I'm choosing myself. And and now, no, if you watch, I, yeah. I, I don't want to say anything. People should come see my act, but I, I challenge anyone to, you know, separate me out from the people who have been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, no, I think instead of saying why me, you should say why not me. Yeah. You should you should write that book. Why not me? That'll be your, uh, your choose yourself. Yeah, exactly. So I challenge everybody. The exercise of the day is, Get yourself a waiter's pad and you'll see what I mean, what a beautiful object it is. Like it's a work of art, the waiter's pad. And then just start writing 10 ideas a day. And within a month, you'll really notice the difference. Within three months, six months, it's like you built this new muscle in your brain that's that's incredible. And uh, anyway, that's it. Hope, hopefully we'll do a 10th year anniversary uh, podcast as well. And wait, thank you. Thanks, Steve. 